the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about anything going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. You need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be finishing um, chapter 19 of First Kings. Uh, I think it's a pretty important Bible study. That's at 7 o'clock. You can watch it uh, live stream at calvarysa.com. Or we always have room on Wednesday nights. We'd love to have you here, and you'd meet some of the nicest people in the whole wide world. So um, that's tonight. And then, of course, tomorrow will be the Date Day Show with Paula. She'll be live in studio with us on that program. And you better call her tomorrow because we have this and one more Thursday and then we go on vacation and Pastor Ken will be doing the show live. 340-9585. Let me go to my first question. This is from our email inbox from David. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. I hope you're having a good day. Well, thank you, David. I am. Uh, So here at work, we had to take a mandatory diversity, inclusivity, and sensitivity training course. They talked to us about homosexuality organizational movements such as BLM and other things that I disagree with. Of course, the company does not want us to discriminate um, against anyone and to understand and accept all walks and beliefs of life and lifestyle. How can a Christian navigate through these times in which we have to be sensitive but in a loving way disagree with them? David, these are really important questions. Uh, I was just talking to our pastor's discipleship class this past Saturday about some of these very issues, uh, and I think they're important. Now, let me say at the beginning, so nobody misunderstands me, um, a Christian should never discriminate against anybody. That doesn't mean we have to accept them or affirm what they're doing. But especially in a workplace, in a business, um, we want all the customers uh, who can spend their money with us. We want uh, them to be able to spend their money with us, and we want it to be, for them, a pleasant experience. That's just good, solid business. But in a situation like you're in, where you are being literally brainwashed um, uh, to, to, to be dishonest, uh, changing 
pronouns, uh, using preferred pronouns, pronouns and things like that. Um, um, that's where the world is going. And we've got to decide as a Christian before we're in a position like the one you're in now, David, we've got to decide uh, where our stand for Jesus begins and our compromise ends. And in a case like this, taking the course, there's nothing you can do about it. If it's a, 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 a category or a requirement for your job, uh, I understand that. Um, but they can't make you be quiet. And they can't tell you how to think. They can't tell you what to think. And certainly they can't make you be dishonest. Now, by dishonesty, here's what I mean. When a uh, someone wants to be referred to in a preferred pronoun, a they, a them, or a, or a their, or something along those lines, you can't do it. If somebody's a woman, she's a woman. If somebody's a man, he's a man. And how they feel or what they think doesn't change the fact of a man. And I would be very comfortable telling somebody, look, uh, you can tell me about all these things. uh, However, you're not going to change my mind about what's right and wrong. I am a Christian and I stand with and for Jesus. And he made men, men and women, women. And to be anything else is a sin. Now, it could cost you your job, David. That's the question you've got to ask yourself. Are you willing to have it cost you your job to stand for Jesus? Now, we haven't really faced persecution yet in this country, but it's coming. And we've got to make these decisions right now. Are we ready to take a stand for Jesus, even at the cost of a job? And the answer has to be yes. We can no longer straddle that line between compromise and, and, and I'm a Christian, but, but, you know, I understand or I need my job. We can't do that any longer. We've got to take a stand for Jesus. I mentioned on a program yesterday in response to a question, and it might have been Monday, I don't know, but, but uh, recently, um, I told the audience I would, I would call, I'll call anybody by any name they want to. If there is a boy who has a girl's name or a girl who has a boy's name and they say, I want to be called that, I'll call them whatever they want. But I will not call a him a her, nor will I call a her a, a him, or will I call them a they. Uh, that's just the way it has to be. So please, please, please understand that this is an opportunity for you to be light and salt in the middle of this darkness. The world that we are living in uh, is just gone absolutely crazy. And as Christians, we're the ones who are sort of the compass point for people. And when we start to compromise, believe me, there will never be an end to the compromise. So I think that's how a Christian navigates through these times. You can tell me to do anything, but I can't lie. And nobody will treat your customers better than I do. And to that point, let me also add this. It's our responsibility as Christians to be loving and welcoming to everybody who comes along our path. If we have a, uh, a somebody who is, is, uh, uh, identifies as transgender in our church, I want them to be loved on by the people. I don't want anybody pointing fingers at them and telling them that, you know, you, you need to repent. I don't want anybody telling them that. I want the Word of God to give the Holy Spirit a chance to change the heart of that man or that woman. And so we need to be kind and we need to be respectful. That does not mean we have to be affirming, nor does it mean that we have to um, pretend what they're doing is okay. But we really and truly do need to welcome everybody. We should be the friendliest, most loving, most welcoming people in the world. And we can do that just like Jesus did without ever compromising our faith. He told the woman caught in the act of adultery, now go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more, he said. And that's pretty loving because it comes from Jesus who is love. And David, that's what we really have to do. So thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Let's go to Victor from San Antonio on line one. Victor, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yes, sir, uh, Pastor Ron. I had a question. Uh, it's not a. It's not a doctrinal. Can you hear me, sir? Yes, I, I hear you fine. Thank you, Victor. Okay. It's not a, a major, you know, doctrinal uh, question. It's just, uh, just you know, when you're reading about the 
when the Lord Jesus resurrected from the dead, uh, there's also a lot of uh, of the of the uh, believers, the old Jewish believers that have passed on. They also a bunch of them resurrected, and uh, and uh, and and also that there's even like uh, one of the I think it was uh, I forget one of the Jewish uh, historians. I think it's Josephus. Uh, that there was like twelve thousand uh, individual sightings of these uh, Old Testament saints that rose from the dead when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. <clears throat> so my question is 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 uh, uh, in in in, in I'll, I'll get I'll hang up and I'll, I'll listen to the radio. Uh, but my question is about so I'm, uh, I take it that their 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 physical body uh, reconstituted and met up with their spirit, or was it only their their spirit that roamed around there, and then they went, uh, or, 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 and if it was a physical body, you know, uh, like in Lazarus, did, did, did they turn around and die again, or did they, did they resurrect with the Lord Jesus when he resurrected? So that's my question. I'll hang up and listen yeah. to the radio on you. Thanks for uh, listening. Thank you. Thank you, Victor. God bless you, and it's always good to hear from you. Uh, a couple of things with, with Lazarus. We know that he was risen from the dead, and he died again. Um, we know that he wasn't risen uh, once and forever like Jesus was, um, at least when when Jesus called him out of the tomb. Uh, so Lazarus is sort of a different situation. Now, the other incident from Matthew chapter 27 that you're referring to when the righteous dead, and it doesn't mean all of them, and certainly Josephus's um, historical record cannot be trusted. Uh, I'm almost certain that there were not 12,000 people that saw them um, uh, at all. Uh, but we don't know. You see, we're not given any information. That passage of Scripture is one that I think a whole bunch of us are going to be excited to get the answers to uh, when we get to heaven, because nobody knows for sure. Now, we don't know if they were risen from the dead. We know they were they were seen walking around, um, many of those who were righteous, who died before, before Christ. Uh, the tombs were opened at the earthquake. And then after Jesus was risen from the dead, they were seen walking around in the city of Jerusalem. Now, how many people saw them? We don't know. And, Victor, we don't know whether or not they came to life again and and just lived for a while until they died again. Or we don't know whether, uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we don't know whether this was a very special resurrection and they were seen walking around in their glorified resurrected bodies, which is certainly possible. So it's only speculation and we don't know. My guess would be, and this is just a, an educated guess, my guess would be that uh, this was a different resurrection um, because uh, Jesus was risen from the dead. I think that Jesus probably took them with him uh, to heaven when he set the captives free. But but that's just a guess, and nobody knows for sure. And there's no possible way that anybody can get any information out of that one little obscure reference that we get from Matthew's gospel. Not even any of the other gospel writers mention it. We know it happened. We know it's true. I will say this, Victor. I believe personally that they were so effective in their evangelism, and certainly that's what they would have done. They would have been telling people that Jesus is alive uh, when when they were confronted in the city of Jerusalem. Um, so effective was their evangelism that uh, on the first day of the church, you know, we're talking some 50 days later, uh, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, uh, making his grand entrance uh, into the world for the very first time uh, to bless the church. Um, um, we know that 3,000 men were saved on that first day. And I'm betting that a whole bunch of those 3,000 men uh, actually saw those people and heard the message. And this was simply confirmation that the message that they heard from these men was true. Victor, that's a great question. But all the questions that we get about this, uh, there's just no value. One comment to you, Victor, and to everybody in the audience. Josephus is um, a good source. He's a good source insofar as we know he was an unbeliever. And he was writing history, Jewish history, for Rome. Um, he was the one chronicling all the events. 
Um, but, um, um, you know, he, what he wrote wasn't inspired. And it would have been influenced by his opinions and perspectives on things. And the value, the real value we have of Josephus is that a lot of what he writes corroborates the information that we have in the Bible. Um, um, uh, a, a great reference for you, Victor, is um, Alfred Edersheim. Uh, he's got three books. Uh, the Life and Times of the Messiah is, is the anchor of the three. But Alfred Edersheim, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M, um, uh, he, he talks a lot about uh, the customs of, of the Jews in the time of Jesus, uh, the, 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 the events following Jesus' death and, and uh, resurrection. Uh, and and he, he leans on Josephus and the information to validate the stories that were going around in Jerusalem following Jesus' uh, uh, resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Victor. I hope that helps. I, w- I, wish, I wish we had answers to those questions, but we just don't. Here's a question from our email inbox. This one is from Rick. Uh, he said, Hi, Pastor Ron, can you speak on the difference on temptation and thoughts? You mentioned that you can be saved and have homosexual thoughts. Is that the same as having temptation? I understand it is a sin if we act on the thoughts and temptations. Jesus says that if we lust, we commit adultery in our heart. Wouldn't that be a thought? How is it a sin? I'm sure you may say it is a heart issue. I'm trying to understand the difference. One time I was tempted to take something uh, that didn't belong to me. Does that mean that I have a heart issue? I hope this makes sense. Let me start at the end um, um, for that one, Rick. Um, um, the reason you were tempted to take something that didn't belong to you is because of your flesh. When we want something, we want it. And my flesh, your flesh, says, yes, I want that. Uh, I'll never forget before I was saved, walking in. It was a Christmas. Walking into a department store, I was looking for some clothes. And uh, I had very little money. And I walked into a dressing room, and there on the the table in the dressing room was a pair of jeans with a wallet that was stuffed with cash. And it was clear that this was somebody who was buying stuff, trying clothes on, and he left this this this. I'm I'm guessing there's probably seven or eight hundred dollars in there, and I got I got my hands on that wallet, and I started to take it, and I just thought, no, I could be ruining somebody's Christmas, and I put it back. Uh, I did not sin. So the thought is not a sin. That's really important. Now, there's a difference between having wicked thoughts and dwelling with those thoughts. You know, uh, you asked um, uh, someone can be saved and have homosexual thoughts. They can be same-sex attracted. We live in a fallen world, and that's just a... A fact of life. There are men who who, who prefer men and women who prefer women. Um, but resisting that thought is where the joy is. Is where the victory is. Uh, Paul talks about taking every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. That statement assumes that we have uh, fleshly thoughts. Even the Apostle Paul said. Um, he struggles with that. What he wants to do, he can't do. What he doesn't want to do, that's what he finds himself doing. So so we have those thoughts and we all have that same struggle. And Paul even came to the conclusion that, well, when I sin, it's not me who sins, but sin living in me. You see, we all have that sin nature, um, uh, Rick, and, 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 and sin is always calling out to us. So having the thought is not a sin. But if we dwell on that thought, if we if we try to figure out how to uh, satisfy that thought, uh, then we've gotten into a different place. That, that's when we begin to lust. And that's what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. So I think here's the easiest way to understand the difference. Thoughts come and go. Uh, Charles uh, uh, Stanley one time said, and uh, I was a very young believer. I don't think this is original with him, but it always stuck with me. He said, you know, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. Well, that's exactly the same thing with thoughts. And if we resist those thoughts, we take them captive to make them obedient to Christ. That's victory and Jesus is pleased. But if we dwell on those thoughts... And then those thoughts become attractive to us and we begin to plan how we can act on those thoughts. Well, that's when we're in trouble. 
So we have to deal with thought very forcefully, with, with wicked thoughts. Remember, there's an outside source, the world that we live in, our flesh, and also the, the enemy of our souls. But, but if we don't act on them forcefully, then the enemy is going to use those thoughts to try to get us to act out on those thoughts, and that's when we fall into sin. So um, I, 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 I hope my answer makes sense to you. Your question makes perfect sense. But remember, having the thought is not sin. Acting on the thought is. And again, I want to emphasize for you, since you mentioned homosexual thoughts, the man or the woman who is same-sex attracted, that's their, their physiology. That's just the way they're built. Not made by God, but that's the way they're built, a result of a fallen human condition. Uh, the people who say no to their flesh and resist those same-sex thoughts, um, man, God is so proud of them and so pleased with them because they are denying themselves what the rest of us would consider an important part of our, our, our ability to enjoy our life, our, our sexual relationships. Um, uh, they're denying that because they've chosen to love Jesus more than they love to satisfy their own flesh. So, Rick, good question. I hope that answer makes sense to you. And uh, don't worry about the flesh. That's just what we we all have to struggle with. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Greg from our email inbox. Uh, He said, Hi, Pastor On. I read some material that the governor wants to open up more physical mental health facilities due to the Uvalde shooting. He mentions that he's a devout Christian in the past. I was disappointed for him that he didn't mention anything about Jesus, but that mental health facilities can combat or prevent mass shootings. It seems like these professing Christians don't talk about Jesus when these tragedies happen, and he wants to know, what are my thoughts? Uh, Greg, a couple of things. I, I don't think I, I don't think you should expect any of our politicians uh, even though they are professing Christians, uh, to be um, that bold. Um, I said right after this Uvalde shooting happened that that young man was demon-possessed. Uh, you're not going to hear that coming from a governor or political uh, candidate, uh, even if he is a Christian, uh, because that that would be a, a, a circumstance that would, would have him probably driven from office. Um, um, you know, they, they've learned to compromise so much. They've learned to walk with one foot in and one foot out for so long, and they've done it to survive. Um, um, th- that's just the way of life for them. Now, let me say this, Greg. I wish to God that our Christian politicians, the people that we elect, and they tell us they're Christians to get elected, I wish they would be bold. I wish that our governor would say uh, to to, uh, the media, um, look, this was a demon-possessed young man. This is a demonic act. Uh, This is because we've kicked God out of schools. We've kicked God out of our our culture. Um, We've decided that we can sin and do whatever we want. Uh, I wish they would say that. And I do believe, Greg, that, that, that God would bless them if they did, um, but they don't, and they don't because I think their faith is weak. Now, I have no uh, idea what Governor Abbott's um, relationship to Christ is uh, is on a personal basis. Uh, I don't know if he's a Baptist. I don't know if he's a Church of Christ. I don't know uh, if he's an evangelical. I don't know, um, But but here's what I know. Uh, in these last days, we Christians, especially those of us who are put in positions of authority, positions of responsibility, we need to take a public stand for Jesus Christ, period, period. I can tell you, Greg, that more physical uh, or mental health facilities are not going to have any value at all. When you read about people shooting up schools, you read this kind of behavior, um, this is just the enemy of our souls. Today, you might have noticed in the news, uh, one of our Supreme Court justices, uh, there was a man arrested with weapons, and he has admitted that his intent was to kill uh, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. I mean, this is as dark a world 
uh, darker than we ever could have imagined. It's as dark a world as, as we've ever seen in this country. And nobody is going to point the finger at the right culprit. It's we have rejected God. God's hand of protection, his blessings of covering have been removed from the United States of America. And until we fight the right enemy, and the enemy is sin, the enemy is us, then there's not going to be any possible sense that this is going to get any better. Greg, let me recommend to you to read Second Timothy chapter 3. Uh, beginning in the first verse, Paul describes what life is going to be like in the last days. And and just I'll just read two of them. Uh, th- there's many more, but, but um, uh, people will be without natural affection. And that's a Greek word that describes the kind of affection that a mother has for her newborn child. And now we've killed 65 million babies. We don't have that anymore. Another one says that they will, people will be diso- young people will be disobedient to their parents. Lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Sort of an anything-goes world. That's what's going to happen in the last days. So, Greg, things aren't going to get better. The answer is for real Christians, whether it's you, me, or Governor Abbott, to really take a stand um, and tell the world that they need Jesus, they need to repent. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the show. We'd love your live calls, 340-9585 or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our wednesday show a quick reminder tonight i'm going to be finishing second kings chapter 19 and uh, tomorrow, Paul will be live on the show uh, with me as usual on the date day edition of the show. I thought of that because, Greg, I want to mention one more thing. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, leaders taking a stand. Uh, in my study last week in First um, Kings 19, I, I told our church that if Elijah were around today, He'd be telling people to repent. He'd be in Washington, D.C. He'd be in California. He'd be in some of these places. We need somebody with a prophet like there's not going to be any more prophets until the Great Tribulation. But we need somebody with that prophet-like spirit who will stand up no matter what anybody says and tell people the real things that are wrong. Elijah, if he were here. He would do it. I'm waiting for people to do it. Yesterday, you might uh, recall, I had two questions about about me being so direct. And, and one of the, the uh, questioners um, said that I was really harsh in my sermon this past Sunday. And, and I just wasn't. I'm just telling the truth. And it's just a tragedy that just teaching the Bible is considered now harsh speech. That's all I did. I read it and I taught it. And yet that's considered harsh speech. world is different, that's for sure. Here's a question from Bruce. Uh, Pastor Ryan, how should we respond to the revelation of cover-up by the SBC, that's the Southern Baptist Conference, and the sexual abuse claims? I am SBC and don't know what to do. Um, Bruce, I would, I would talk to your pastor about this. I would want to know where he stands. The, the, the sexual abuse is horrible, horrible. But the cover-up of the sexual abuse is unconscionable. And when we who are supposed to be salt and light in this world are not standing up and saying, that's wrong, these people need to step down, they need to repent, and we need to be concerned about the victims. Um, um, when when we, we have a church environment where, where that's no longer um, the, our first instinctive reaction, then we've already lost our way. And I wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that. So I would talk to your pastor about it. I'd want to know where he stands. Um, and and I, I would, I would uh, I'd find out where his heart is. 
You know, sometimes we get this idea, well, you know, God's doing such a great work. We can't risk the church, so we want to keep these things quiet. We can't keep darkness quiet any longer. You know, there was a time when churches and organizations could get away with that, but after the Catholic abuse scandals, the multiplied billions of dollars that it's cost them, and now the SBC, make no mistake, every bit as bad as the Catholic scandals. We're not doing anything about it. We've lost our way already. So, Bruce, that's what I would do. Um, but if if, the, if there's any tolerance at all for the SBC's actions uh, from the pastor of your church, I'd find another church for sure. Let's go to Jason on line one from San Antonio. Jason, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my pleasure. I listen every chance I get. I got a couple of questions if you have time for both of them. But first, I have to say you guys have an insanely awesome website at Cowboy oh. Chapel SA. Uh, I, I have a couple of, I would say, uh, I guess, uh, Bible teachers that I that I occasionally listen to, and I'll go to their website. And, and you can hear that podcast maybe from that day or, or maybe a couple of previous ones. But I go to <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Chapel, San Antonio. It's like walking into a, a library. Man, <laughs> it's great. But uh, hmm. anyway, uh, my, my question is, uh, I have a couple of them, Pastor Ron. Uh, I believe I've heard you say uh, on the program before, uh, mentioned uh, one of your go-to translations of the Bible is 1984. I believe it's NIV. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Now, uh, and I, I generally uh, read out of the NIV. I heard that in 2011, they kind of changed their translation to be like a, a, I don't know a gender or gender neutral yes and, that's uh, exactly right going going forward pretty much anytime you buy an NIV or or reference an NIV it's going to be that 2011 uh, yeah. uh, format that you're understanding yeah Okay, Jason, I'll answer that one after you give me the next question, so that way I don't want to forget either one of them. I got you. Okay. Uh, well, that gum, you're going to make me forget the other one. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. It's uh, 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 on, uh, as, as concerning uh, reading material also. On the resurrection, uh, when I hear... I guess you would say uh, apologists, uh, you know, give the case for, like, the resurrection. They'll say, oh, we know that, you know, it's a historical fact. There's an empty tomb. There was an empty tomb. And and then there were sightings. You know, of course, you had the apostles. And then I believe one occasion where there was, like, 500 people at, at one time. And, uh, and then that's, that's all I hear. But... What I would like, uh, just for my own conscience, I guess, is what are those historical, you know, I want to be able to reference those actual historical facts, not just that, well, I heard so-and-so say that it's a historical fact. So do you know any books that I could actually find, um, what, what, do you, what would you call them, like uh, uh, secular books or something, you know, that I don't want to reference the Bible with the Bible, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, th- thank you, Jason. I, I can get both of those. Let me let me do the easy one first. The, the 1984 NIV, um, you are absolutely correct. Um, after that, they went gender-inclusive in 2011. That's a publisher's trick. They just want to publish and sell more Bibles. Um, but uh, they did go gender-inclusive and I think ruined the translation. Uh, it ceases to become a translation if you are interpreting it. 
Um, uh, it, it's sort of like uh, the message and others. Uh, when it's when it's being interpreted, um, we we can no longer depend on the translation. I, I personally think the 2011 NIV is just horrible, and I won't read it. In fact, uh, I, I've got a computer. You should see how I keep my computer guys here buzzing because I've got a Bible program with the 1984 BC Study Bible with the 1984 NIV on it. And after the 2011 came out, you can't you can't find the 1984 online anymore, and uh, I I keep them they're they're duct taping my my programs together just so I can use that on my Bible study program on the computer. I think without any question to me, um, the 1984 NIV is the best New Testament translation that we have out there. Uh, it is uh, um, so rich, and and I think perfectly captures what the manuscripts are trying to say, and and uh, so so I, I strongly we got a lady here at the church who uh, because she knows that the 2011 is not any good, uh, she, she one of her missions is to go find. Uh, 1984 NIV Bibles, and she brings them to us from everywhere so that we can give them out to people. That's how good it is. Um, But the 2011 is not one that I'd recommend to anybody under any circumstances. Now, that does not mean, uh, Jason, that there are... um, um, I'm sorry, uh, not Jason. Yeah, Jason. I was talking to Victor earlier. Um, It does not mean that there aren't other good translations because there are. But but that's just not one of them. Um, the the other thing, the the, the second question about the resurrection. Uh, I don't think as Christians that we have to be be concerned about using the Bible to um, to prove the the resurrection is true. Um, it, it is decidedly the 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 central miracle of the New Testament, and. Um, the Bible is the only one that's going to reliably report upon it. Um, the secular evidence for the resurrection of Christ is also overwhelming. Um, but, um, you know, you're always going to find um, the, the, the sort of the cynicism in it and the skepticism. Uh, Josephus talks about, uh, makes mention of, of um, Christ who was reported from uh, uh, by people to to have been murdered or executed and yet is he was seen alive um, I'll tell you the best the best thing you could do is find the new edition of of evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell uh, and I say that because he's got a wonderful bibliography in there and and I think that's the best place to really chase it down. But I want you to think about something, and this is this is stuff that we get from the Bible. Um, uh, if, if the devil would have moved heaven and earth to destroy the validity of the resurrecting of the resurrection, uh, if if he could have, he would have done anything and everything to find a body. He couldn't find the body. It's never been. That's all that had to happen for Christianity to be stopped in its tracks. The other thing that we've got to remember is that the disciples who died, not, not just disciples, but, but the early church martyrs, they died because they knew the resurrection was true. They wouldn't have died. They wouldn't have suffered and been tortured the way they were if, if they were trying to stand um, um, and, and stand for, for a lie. They just wouldn't have done it. Um, they might have had the intention of doing it, but once the, the torture becomes so great and you're going to lose your life— you can say, okay, it was a lie, I admit it. But, but I think most importantly, we have to hold on to the evidence of Jesus. It's what he said would happen. We know it happened. We know they couldn't find a body. And so Jesus, if he is able to save, he had to be telling us the truth. One of the Josh McDowell's platforms is that he was either a liar or a lunatic or Lord. And uh, if he lied, he's not God. If he was out of his mind, a lunatic, then then certainly he wasn't God. Um, that that leaves only one option: he is the Lord. And when you 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 have to deal with all of the uh, apostles and the, the the early testimonies of church martyrs, Polycarp and others, who died for their faith, 
Nobody would have done that for a lie. So I think that's true. So don't shy away from using the Bible. In fact, one of the, the weapons that we have is challenging people to go to the Bible and find out for yourself. If, if as Jesus suggested, as Paul suggested, if there's no resurrection uh, from, of Christ from the dead, then there's no resurrection at all. We're all lost and we're to be pitied more than all people. Uh, let the Holy Spirit, working through the Word of God, challenge people to do it. So, yes, there's a lot of secular evidence. Again, Josh McDowell has a great bibliography in his uh, in, in, in the New Evidence that Demands a Verdict. Um, if you want something a little easier, there's uh, two little books called uh, by Paul Little, L-Y-T-T-L-E, Know What You Believe and Know Why You Believe, and he deals with it, and he has a smaller bibliography. Uh, additionally, uh, Lee Strobel has a very readable book, The Case for the Resurrection, um, uh, and, and he also has a bibliography with some secular information in it as well. But, but, but don't look for secular support when we've got the Bible, uh, the living, breathing Word of God that the Holy Spirit will work through. Challenge people to go to the Bible instead. So, Jason, I hope that helps a little bit. Thank you very, very much. It's a funny thing. My Bible study program was written for Windows 95. Um, it's the reason my IT team is running around with duct tape. <laughs> See, I can't. I couldn't get it anymore. So, uh, Windows 95. My my producer here just told me that I, I don't know. I guess that's really really old. I don't know where they are right now. But but that's how. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's funny. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a call we've got coming in from Matthew on line two from San Antonio. Matthew, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. It's a pleasure to be on the air again. Um, and uh, and I'll say it again that it's a uh, blessing to have you uh, on the air every day and hearing you and hearing the Lord speak through you, and uh, it's, it's just a, a re- release, a relief. Um, so Th- I just thank you, Matthew. You, you, thank you. You humble me. Um, my question is, uh, since June is male uh, mental illness month, um, and I am a male, and I have suffered from mental illness several times, and I'm sure there are several people who are dealing with that right now as well on the, um, who are listening. Um, and I just, just want to, if you could elaborate, because I, I've called before about this situation where I feel, and I know it's an attack, but I feel like it's, uh, sometimes if I feel like maybe God cut me off or, or maybe it's a trial or something like that, but, I do know that when I am in prayer, when I am dealing with this, to go to God and to to just go on my knees and just cry out to Him. So, if you could just please uh, just enlighten enlighten us with with your knowledge and the Scripture to help us through this, because a lot of times I just get through that. Uh, I, I get battling with that, with this mental illness, with anxiety and stress and being miserable mm-hmm. and things like that. And I know and I know that that's not the fruits of the Spirit, and I know that. And that kind of uh, a little footnote question is that, does that mean if I'm struggling through this, does that mean I'm not going to have the fruits of the Spirit or not a Christian or anything like that? Uh, it's just, a, it's just mm-hmm. been a, just a... A downhill spiral with me, and I'm—I'll I'm, tell you my age. I'm, I'm 42, and I've dealt with this since I was a teenager. And yeah. uh, just if you could uh, also just keep me in prayer, and then also those listening also in prayer too as well. And uh, I will listen thank to you, you off Matthew. there. And, and and again, God thank bless you, Matthew. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I will be praying for you, Matthew, and I'm so sorry that you're struggling through this kind of thing. But but honestly, and don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, the struggle 
that you're having is proof that Jesus is working in you and working through you. So keep struggling. It's a fight. You know, uh, um, I, I did not know this was Mental Health Awareness uh, Month. You know, in June, we get bombarded with Pride Month uh, all day and all night. So it kind of eclipses everything else. But the reality, Matthew, is there's a lot of people who are struggling with mental health issues. Uh, there are people that are bipolar. There are people that are subject to discouragement, turning into depression. And one of the things that we have to remember is that our enemy is relentless. And he will not have a break on you because because you, you struggle with, with some form of mental illness. He's going to use it to try to destroy you. And we need to remember the signs that these things are from the enemy. And, and one of those signs is condemnation. And so often when people are struggling with these issues, you think, well, I might not be saved. Or if I was really saved, why, why isn't God delivering me from this? Um, that's the enemy, and he's going to condemn you. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The other thing, Matthew, that I think is really important for us to consider because it's the one thing that we don't want to do when we're struggling with issues such as the ones that you're struggling with. Uh, that's when we need to toughen up and really, really, really fight with all of our strength and all of the strength that works so effectively in us and the power of the Holy Spirit to get close to Jesus. You know, when we're struggling with things, um, um, the temptation, and this is always the enemy, the temptation is just sort of sit back, sit still, and, and don't engage. Um, but that's just the opposite of what we ought to be doing. Um, when we don't feel like praying, when we don't feel like getting into the Word, um, that's when we need to, to, to do it all the more. And that's when we need to exercise the fruit of the spirit of self-control and of discipline. And when we do that and we fight, I promise you the Holy Spirit will be there and will rescue you. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to suffer with the same illnesses. But when when, when you're dealing with anxiety, um, I'd get on my Bible study program and, and I'd pull up all the don't worry passages or the be anxious for nothing passages or the, the Philippians passages. I've learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. Jesus, you see, is the answer for those anxieties and, and, and the other manifestations of mental illness. So you're going to keep struggling. The enemy is going to make sure of that. But because you're struggling, because you're fighting and resisting, the Lord is so pleased with you, Matthew. You need to remember that always. Can I share just very briefly? We're got nobody else holding on the line. We're inside, I think, coming up on four minutes now for the program. Uh, I woke up this morning feeling like there was a black cloud in my room. Um, I, I There was such a forbidding spirit. Now, uh, my first default is always, this is an enemy, I'm under attack. Uh, but I couldn't shake it. Um, you know, it was just the sense that was uh, like something horrible was going to happen. Um, and, you know, you the, instantly I, I go into prayer and and I'd like to think, well, you know, I have faith. I trust God. And as soon as I pray, I'm gonna, the devil's going to go away. It doesn't happen like that. We have to keep fighting all day. And uh, for me, the temptation is to be anxious uh, or to worry. But then I've got to remember. And I do this literally, um, Matthew. I, I, I'll just say, Jesus, um, today it's just you and me. Today I need to stay close. Don't let me get far away from you. And I think for you, Matthew, it would be helpful um, to, to do first thing every morning what I do, and I get up and I promise to stay to the Lord. I do it this way. I use Genesis chapter 32. I say, Lord, today of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. And then I add in your name and for your glory. And then I look, I'm always looking at the eastern sky when I do this, Matthew. And, and then I say, but, but I can't even do that on my own, Lord. And so I offer my hand to him by faith. And I say, I take your hand in faith. And here's Genesis 32. I will not let go until you bless me. And then I do it with my left hand. I take, I take Paula's hand because we're one flesh. And I say, we will not let go until you bless us, until we finished our course together. 
Help us to finish well, better than we started, pleasing to you, and always and only bringing you honor and glory. And Matthew, when you're struggling with things that you're struggling with, holding on to Jesus that way, and I do it physically, holding on to Jesus is the only answer. It's the only rescue. And that's what we need to do. And then throughout the day, you'll remember your mind will start wandering and the ugly thoughts will come running back in. And you go, oh, well, that's okay. I still got you right in the hand, Jesus. You haven't let me go. You never will. And you just remember that. And in his presence, you're going to find uh, is, is a peace that is, is escaping you some days. And people that worry or people that are afraid, people that are, are, are anxiety-ridden, um, they spend more time being closer to that which they're anxious about than they are to Jesus. And it has to be a physical thing. It'd be to pretend he's there physically with you. And if you do that long enough, you won't have to pretend anymore because you'll know that he's there. And when that that happened, Matthew, um, it's his strength that works in you. And uh, again, I wish I could say the enemy would give you a break, but he is relentless. He is insidious. And the only way he's going to run from you is when you're in the presence of Jesus. So fight and keep on struggling. Uh, God is so proud of you for the fight. And for some people, and Matthew, there's no explanation for this, but for some people, it's just harder every day to walk with Jesus. And you're one of those people. That's why there's such great rewards, crowns of righteousness awaiting you when you stand before the Lord in heaven. Matthew, I'll be praying. Thank you for being so candid with us. Lots of people were blessed by Matthew's honesty there. Hey, that's the end of our program today. Remember, Paula will be live in studio with us tomorrow. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow with Paula on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.